0: Welcome to the Loewenstein Sandler podcast series. I'm Kevin Ireland, Chief Marketing Officer at Loewenstein Sandler. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast series at loewenstein.com/podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Now let's take a listen.
1: Welcome to "Don't Take No for an Answer," an insurance recovery podcast. I'm your host, Linda Bennett, Chair of Loewenstein Sandler's Insurance Recovery Group. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the cyber insurance coverage market. Is it a house of cards or are we just hitting a temporary plateau? With a couple of quarters of 2021 nearly in the books, companies continue to see an alarming number of security breaches and ransomware attacks. Each time we prepare our workforce for how to combat the latest cybersecurity threat, the bad actors seem to be two steps ahead with their next scam. A few years back, we were all learning about social engineering and how to make sure that an email from our CEO really came from her and not an imposter. So now we are all carefully scrutinizing the emails in our inbox while hackers have moved on to manipulating invoices and payment instructions for our customers and vendors. At the same time, we continue to see ransomware attacks across every industry, and the price of ransoms have skyrocketed from five to six to now seven figures. Regulators remain active in the space imposing significant and differing standards in terms of maintaining personal information and notifying persons impacted by a breach. Now, fortunately, most companies have dedicated cyber insurance policies in place to help navigate them through many of the adverse consequences that flow from a security breach. However, the question that's on my mind today is, how much longer can this last Will the insurance industry to continue to write these policies and pay claims without a fight? In order to probe these important issues, I'm fortunate to have with me today, David Finns, vice president of Cyber Risk at Alliant Insurance Services, and Steve Chappelle, Alliance specialty claims and practice group leader. Welcome David and Steve, pleased to have you here today. So let's start at the high level. Is the cyber insurance market sustainable? or is it a house of cards that's going to fall under the weight of the relentless claims activity that we've seen over the last year or two.
2: Well, first of all, let me let me start by saying thank you for having us here today and, you know, my response to that is I think what we were seeing is the growing pains of a still relatively new line of coverage. This is not a house of cards. What we have seen is that the market is going to need to become more sophisticated in the underwriting process over the past you know, decade, decade and a half, as we've watched the cyber insurance marketplace develop, there's been an abundance of capacity. The underwriters were generally relying on paper applications and brief phone calls with an organization, CISO or CTO, uh, in order to get a sense of the security controls. And that's no longer going to suffice. Now they're beginning to incorporate security scans and other types uh, of non-invasive testing of security controls as part of the underwriting process, and this is forcing both organizations and their brokers uh, to up their game and to help clients differentiate themselves and present themselves to the markets as a better risk. And In fact, the underwriting process itself is an opportunity for organizations to conduct a risk assessment and thereby uh, strengthen those uh, privacy practices and security controls. So we see this as a positive development. Uh, we're embracing it, and we understand that it is a hardening market. But we are helping our clients navigate
3: it. Yeah, and and I would agree with that, David. And the other observation, right? Following the claims carefully, and and kind of comparing and contrasting this to other products that have developed over the last couple of decades. You know, the underwriters here are. You know, they're, they're paying attention they're doing a, a, a nice job of thinking through kind of attachment points of you know what, what what's the proper retention what's the proper limits of liability to put out put out there a lot like we saw with other products like you know employment practice is a pretty good example where attachment points were too low and capacity was too high and you know underwriters thought it through and and I think did a n- nice job of figuring out, what is a proper retention? What is a proper attachment point? What is a proper limit of liability to put out there?
1: So, Steve, are you saying that we're going to see a series of sublimits put on these uh, these policies and the different coverages that are there, or, or are you are we going to see the scale back and the right sizing of the market
3: in a different way? Yeah. So, David and I will will probably debate this. I think we'll see carriers attempt to do sublimits. You know, that way they can continue to collect premium for larger limits of liability, but then sublimit and reduce their risk. Um, I, I think we, the brokers, are going to continue to push very, very hard that sublimits are not good, right? There's the devil, nothing good comes of, of a sublimit. And so so we'll, we'll have some really interesting friction in the marketplace, which is you know healthy and normal. David, I think there was some bait thrown in the water. You're going to take it? Yeah. Uh,
2: there's really not much daylight between my position and Steve's on that. I mean, obviously, from a broking standpoint, we, we want to try to get full limits uh, for our clients across all the insuring agreements of a cyber policy. We understand that the uh, ransomware epidemic, for lack of a better word, that has fallen upon businesses has had an impact on loss ratios uh, for the underwriters and that they are scrutinizing that more carefully. But again, I think the solution to that ultimately is to have organizations reevaluate their security controls, their employee training practices, and present themselves as a better better risk to the markets. You know we believe uh, that through that process of differentiating them that we can still achieve favorable coverage terms for our clients.
1: So does that mean that there are going to be winners and losers? If the insurance industry is going to scale back, are there particular industries that should be concerned that it's going to be harder for them to either secure coverage at all or to secure the same levels of limits that they, they have in place today?
2: I'm not sure that it's going to be specific to industry. You know, Again, up until a few years ago, certain industries were more likely to purchase cyber insurance than others, basically, if they had large quantities of consumer data. So healthcare organizations, financial institutions, retailers, they were the early adapters uh, along with any type of e-commerce companies. Uh, over time though, as more of uh, an organization's operations go online, whether it's inventory, uh, payroll, now we have a situation where as you know, many organizations have become paperless, whether it's in the finance, insurance, real estate sector, whether it's in manufacturing, we're now at a point that the the need for cyber insurance is across all industries. As far as market segment size, there is still large untapped growth potential among small and medium sized businesses, many of whom still do not purchase the coverage and are evaluating it for the first time. So I think more than based on industry or market segment, the differentiation is really going to be around who takes cyber hygiene seriously, and that is something that as their risk consultant, as their insurance broker, we can help connect them with vendors uh, that can improve their security posture.
3: David, do you anticipate that we will o- almost go backward in some of the underwriting Because I you know when I think back of cyber underwriting in early years, right? it was really, really cumbersome, right? And they were um, they spent a lot of time in our clients' business. And then it got lax. You'd think we're going to go back to a kind of not, not necessarily the old ways, but the old days where they're, they're just going to be a lot more invasive with um, understanding how our clients do
2: business. I think there's definitely going to be more scrutiny as part of the underwriting process, but I don't know that it's going to be as cumbersome as it was 5, 10, 15 years ago, right? I mean, clearly around, say, ransomware now, there are supplemental questionnaires that many of the carriers uh, are uh, asking for as part of the renewal process. And I joked recently to one of our colleagues when I looked at one of the carrier forms, I said, "I I would look at this and say they're trying to play 20 questions with our clients, but there's actually 30. On the form. Yeah. so you know it, it 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 can be cumbersome. But the, the the difference between now and in the earlier days of the cyber insurance market is the availability of these tools that can come in and do the IT security scans and give the uh, insurer a, 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 a you know sort sort of a. a, a an understanding of the security controls in place, not only in terms of the network itself, but what kind of information is available on the dark web with respect to an organization. These are analytical tools that have been adapted by many of the insurers and we ourselves as brokers have access to similar tools as well to help our clients prepare uh, for the renewal process and identify any areas where they do have vulnerability.
1: That, that's a tough nut, though, David, to sell to clients because um, they are extremely reluctant to let anybody, let alone insurance companies who haven't paid a claim yet, come tramping through their system to know where all of their super-secret uh, documents are to um, you know, give them essentially the keys to the electronic uh, kingdom. I think there's going to be a lot of education that's going to be required to get the policyholders comfortable in seeing the benefit and value in doing that type of sharing, especially well, on the front-end and, and placement uh, phase?
2: Well, the security scans we're talking about are non-invasive in nature and, in fact, uh, can be conducted without having access to a company's network. So We're talking about the cyber equivalent of a drive-by to see whether there are any broken windows or newspapers you know, piling up in, in in a stack on the front stoop. These are uh, indicia in of vulnerability that are evident to cyber criminals without having to go into a network. So, therefore, these are things that an organization would want to know, uh, irrespective of whether they're purchasing cyber insurance, so that they could address you know these virtual broken windows, so to speak, uh, and and shore up their security. This does not require an invasive. Uh, penetration testing or anything to an organization's network again these are tools that are available to both the ethical hacker as well as to the cyber criminal element
1: well so before we move on to the next topic though I do want to press you David and Steve a little bit what is the incentive for the carriers to continue paying these ransomware demands how, you know how much higher can this go we started out with average figures at five five-figure settlements. We went through six pretty quickly. Now we're seeing seven figures. Is the you know, It seems natural that the next trend is going to be eight-figure demands. How much longer can this continue where the carriers are going to be willing to pay those claims quickly and seamlessly?
2: Well, I, I think one of the things that we need to keep in mind in response to your question is that payment of the ransom is actually a last resort on the part of the carrier's. When a threat consultant is engaged, there are several steps in the process that are taken to try to relieve the burden of having the insured make the ransom payment. That's one of the valuable services that cyber insurance provides. Uh, the first step is the threat consultant comes in and tries to ascertain whether the threat is credible. Do these threat actors actually have access to the network? Are they bluffing? Do they have the data? Secondly, what do we know about their M.O.? Do they seem like the types that will actually make good on their threat? Do they have a track record of uh, once receiving payment, calling off the threat? Uh, Another service that is available is that many of the threat consultants actually profess to have the capability of reverse engineering the IP address so that they can identify whether these threat actors are in any way associated with a sanctioned individual or entity uh, because we're all mindful of the fact that the Department of Treasury is watching very carefully to make sure that payments aren't being made to sanctioned parties. So all of these steps, and oh, and I, I overlooked one, does the FBI or some other law enforcement agency have the decryption key for this particular threat such that the ransom payment does not need to be made, and that the insured can get out of this mess without having to resort to making the payment? So all of these steps in the process are taken to limit the frequency with which ransom payments are made. And and again, it's not for me to do the carrier's bidding, but I believe they would agree that to the extent that they make payments, they do so as a last resort.
1: Great. All right. Well, Steve, let me throw this one over to you because, again, as we've been talking about, the premiums in this uh, space are going up exponentially due to the claims activity and many of our clients are trying to uh, fill out their shopping list and trying to figure out where best to deploy their, their financial assets here. Are they better off to continue buying this coverage as it continues to get a bit more expensive, or uh, are they better off just layering on additional security measures to keep the uh, enemies at the gates?
3: Yeah. So the answer is yes. Um, so it's it's both, as you probably would expect. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, because companies are spending a, a great deal of resource and focus on security, and despite that, right, we have event after event after event. So I, I don't, I don't know how generally a company is going to sleep comfortably at night, picking one over the other. You can't just buy a lot more insurance and then just you know kind of give up on on your efforts internally on security, and you, and you certainly can't do the opposite because as we've seen, right, the unfortunately and sadly, right, the bad actors are. Actually, pretty good at being bad actors, and and they're going to continue to find ways. So, so I mean, I think the focus has got to continue to be on both of these. And as as this product gets more expensive, as they have they endure more and more losses, right? We'll we'll have to figure that out, right? And that's why David makes the big money is he, he'll solve for this <laughs> in the policy placement and the attachment points and the retentions. We'll, we'll solve for it so that the the market remains viable. So so that's kind of my view is the answer is both.
1: All right. Well, you've both convinced me that this is not a house of cards market that's going to fall into itself. So let me just ask you to do this. Polish up your crystal ball and let me know where do you think the cyber market is going to be five years from today? What does it look like?
2: I guess I'll start. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for that big money. Maybe that'll come through in the next five years. Aside <laughs> <laughs> from that, I, I think one of the things that the market is going to have to solve for is the uh, ability to deal with the question of the internet of things. Uh, As we begin to see more interconnected devices, the exclusions for bodily injury and property damage, which are already to some extent getting chipped away at for computer hardware replacement costs, commonly known as bricking, you know, and some other areas around the fringes are going to need to uh, fall by the wayside because what happens when medical diagnostic equipment or, you know, power grids or other even self, self-driving automobiles begin to result in claims where there is bodily injury and property damage. So I think that the market is going to need to address how that wall, uh, which is already semi-permeable, is going to uh, hold up in light of those losses um, in order for the coverage to stay relevant.
1: Uh, I agree. You know, I've had my Roomba chasing me and I'm waiting for that broken ankle. So uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. So, Steve, give me give me your crystal ball um, prediction on uh, the claim side.
3: Yeah. So I I think claims will continue to come in. And I'm kind of consistent with what David's talking about. Right. This coverage is going to evolve. And I think we're going to continue to see kind of friction points. Right. That this the points going to get on this spear is going to get sharpened and sharpened and sharpened. As carriers you know, try to, you know, I, I think, be a little more precise in their deployment of capital. And we're going to be continue to be aggressive to make sure that th- the evolution of these risks are covered by these products. So, so I, I think it's going to be a very robust um, claims environment. And I think it's going to be a very robust coverage environment on these large claims when they come in as the exposures evolve and they get you know, more and more interesting and unique.
1: Well, I really appreciate that and uh, really do appreciate both David and Steve uh, joining us today and sharing their knowledge and experience. Uh, One thing's for certain, this is certainly not going to be our last uh, podcast episode on the cyber insurance market uh, because David has convinced me it's here to stay. Uh, So please do join us again uh, next time. And thanks very much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks.
3: Thanks Thank you, Linda.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe to our podcast series at lowenstein.com/podcasts or find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Lowenstein Sandler podcast series is presented by Lowenstein Sandler and cannot be copied or rebroadcast without consent. The information provided is intended for a general audience and is not legal advice or a substitute for the advice of counsel. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. The content reflects the personal views and opinions of the participants. No attorney-client relationship is being created by this podcast and all rights are reserved.